founders, what's going on. You guys know I love in-person events and they are back. The recording you're about to hear is from our most recent event where we had hundreds of founders come together, share intimate details, templates, KPIs, OKRs about their business. And it was something special, something special. We'd love to meet you in person. If you want to see the next live events we have coming up via our schedule, the link will be down below in the description. If you're listening on iTunes, check this out on YouTube. You'll see the links in the description, or you can just Google Founder Path or Latka next event. We'd love to see you in person. In the meantime, though, enjoy this recording. It's a good one. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to getlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to getlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at getlatka.com. All right, so uh, I did lose a lot of money uh, to... Nathan over here, he got me into a poker game. I actually don't like, um, I just play poker for social reasons, not, not the way these guys play. They, they, I think I lost like a grand maybe that night. Or maybe. We've got another game tomorrow night if you want to come. Well, no. Well, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep my grand to myself. Uh, uh, I don't have the sexy pants on, so it's all right. Um, so uh, very quickly, uh, since he brought it up, uh, we've not talked about this. So uh, I came to the States as a poor student at BYU and uh, was a, in the computer science room. A market research professor comes into the lab and says, hey, I want somebody to build me a survey tool. I looked at him and said, how much are you going to pay me? Obviously, right? He's like, 17 bucks an hour. I'm like, I'd do a lot more for 17 bucks an hour right now. So, um, And that guy was Scott Smith. His son is Ryan. Uh, he was a sales guy, I was the tech guy, Scott obviously was the professor. Uh, they don't tell the story that way, but you know, that's what happened. Uh, and then we divorced in 2003, 2005 is when we divorced. They kept Survey Pro, I kept Question Pro. Obviously they've done uh, 27 times better than what I've done, so you know, clearly, right? So. Uh, so that's the backstory. Um, so, but I want to talk about M&A today. Uh, and so most people think that, you know, I kind of stumbled into this kind of path, not necessarily, you know, thinking through this. So this kind of like gives you kind of an idea of how we've been doing. As you can see, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, uh, and we're, and what, what I want to talk about today is just opportunistically doing deals as they come along. And most people, you know, I was even talking outside, like, you know, how, how, do, how, do, how, do, how do you kind of suss it out? And then, um, and how to actually execute really fast. A little bit about ourselves, like I said, uh, we've been at it for a while. We started up in Seattle, um, and then currently we are in Austin. So we are part of the cohort of companies that got the fuck out of Bay Area, <laughs> I guess, and into Austin. Uh, and... Uh, and let's talk a little bit about my journey. I'll obviously in the next 15 minutes, I'll just talk very, very briefly through my journey for a couple of years now or many years now. Uh, the first zero to one is obviously a hustle. Everybody knows this. Every one of you guys are in some way, shape or form have done it, will do it. Um, and uh, for us also, uh, that's me. That's actually my garage. Uh, and the story here is that I used to build my own computers because I was too cheap to buy a regular computer. And the most important part was that CD-ROM that you see um, in, in my hand. 
So you, you have to install Linux on the, on the computers. Uh, I was so cheap that I used to install the CD-ROM, install Linux, and then take the CD-ROM out and put it on the next computer. So you don't have to buy multiple CD-ROMs. So, uh, so that gives you an idea uh, of being cheap, but also, in fact, uh, the other gentleman was, and you were talking about revenue-based kind of like acceleration. Like, uh, you know, I did that quite a bit in the first part, which I said, like, I never said no to any feature, right? Anybody said that they wanted something, I said, I'll get it done, really, right? Will you buy it? And I, and I was just like on the spot. Um, I've done deals where like, you know, like pay me 10 grand, I'll build this feature overnight. Uh, and I was, you know, obviously I was the developer slash janitor slash every, you know, customer success and everything else in between. So that, the, the zero to one angle was, um, that, that one thing worked for us really well, obviously. Uh, and the second thing that I want to talk about in terms of SEO is something that we anchored on even back in the day because we, got, we jumped onto SEO uh, because, you know, before SEO was kind of, frankly, SEO. But in this particular case, uh, uh, we also kind of, like, did a LATAM expansion. Uh, and this is, gives you an idea of how we did the Latin America one. So that gives you kind of how much we grew in the last couple of years. Um, we almost 9x'd our traffic. Um, and the, the game plan for the LATAM stuff was pretty straightforward. We had a bunch of content. We translated everything, auto-translated all our content into Spanish, obviously. And then we waited for traffic to come, okay? And as soon as traffic came to any particular piece of content, we started manually optimizing that content, right? Because the auto-translation obviously does not work long-term, but it, it's a great strategy for, say, like if you have a bunch of English content and you want to get into a particular market, but obviously you've created tons of English, you know, you know we had almost like 2,000 blog entries on our blog in English. So we're like, oh, we want to optimize this in Spanish. So the, the normal way would have been like, oh, look, you know, we got to you know, hand translate 2,000, and it's just going to too much work. So we auto-translate 2,000 articles, wait for traffic, and look, and every week we, look, we used to look at the traffic, and the traffic that bumped up, which means obviously, you know, Google was picking it up. And so, and then we go back and fix those, uh, uh, fix those ones. Uh, so this gives you an idea, like, and obviously we compete against SurveyMonkey type form, a lot of people. Um, in we have better traction than most of those guys. And, and if you think about it, SEO is a game of not how good you are, but how everybody else is playing that game, really, right? If, if they have, you know, SurveyMonkey has 15 guys working on English SEO, we have four guys working on Spanish SEO, let's put it that way. So we can win the Spanish market, and we did the same thing for German. And uh, so we even, you know, obviously, English is really hard because the whole planet is fighting for it, really, right? So that's, that was one of the uh, kind of hacks that worked uh, for us, at least. And these are some examples of kind of, you know, pretty, fairly, fairly generic keywords that are pretty difficult to get uh, to number, you know, in the top three on. Uh, now let's talk about going from one to one to ten. Uh, we had to really pivot at this point, and I, I struggled quite a bit uh, because the hustle was on. It was fun. Uh, you did everything, uh, and you really have to put process in play. Really, right? I mean, as founders, we are all doing everything: janitor slash customer success slash developer. But then, you know, from the one to ten, you really have to kind of step back and say, like, look, everybody needs to have a function, and each function needs to be optimized, and more and most importantly, you need to have people on all those kind of, you know, you know, all those functions. And it took me, honestly, it took me quite a while to understand that. Uh, since we were bootstrapped, and I probably don't like listening to other people also, uh, so I never figured out what to do, and then eventually we figured it out, you know, we struggled for for. Two or three years we struggled quite a bit, or four years we struggled. So we got up to like, 
uh, three or four million dollars really fast, right? So from 2005 to 2009, we got to four million bucks. Then we got stuck over there, right? For, for almost four years, I got stuck. I'd been uh, even four to 4.2 to 4.3. Um, and then eventually kind of 6.5. And so it's when then we get from 6.5 to 10, that's when that happened because we put all, because all the process systems started working kind of together at that point. Um, that's pretty important. So, uh, but we have talked a little bit about M&A. So another way to get, and I was talking about this, another way to get people into the company, into those systems is to hire, you know, smart people, right? And one way to hire founders, I mean, obviously, we're all founders here. We don't want to, you know, we, we don't want to work for anybody. Uh, but you can hire founders by just acquiring their companies, simply put, right? Smaller companies that they, they're kind of either exhausted or they're looking, they just need more. They're not able to get beyond the $1 million ARR function. Uh, this is an example of, like I just said, like, look, I needed you to be the president of kind of one of the divisions. I'll just pay you some cash. I'll buy your company, and, I'll, and you can keep all the money that you have through that process, and, and in fact, all the invoices that are going to come through, and I'll give you all the kind of support around you uh, that you're kind of like, obviously, those functions are in there as a smaller company. Uh, then, then this is where things got really interesting, um, and I'll tell you the story around, uh, you know, as you can see over here, uh, let me just go back a little bit. Yeah, so this is that. So this is in the middle of the pandemic in May of 2020. A private equity company calls me and says, like, hey, Vivek, I've been talking to a bunch of PE guys one way or the other. Like, hey, Vivek, we really want you to buy this company, one of our portfolio companies. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Right? You're the billion dollar PE firm. Why are you calling me up? And I'm the bootstrap guy. And isn't supposed to be the other way around, right? No, no not me. They're like, no, 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 you, you really have to take a look at this. Right? And I knew the company too, it was called Impresis. And they're like, okay, cool. Send it, you know, they kind of, we have a call. And I said, okay, I'll spend. And first of all, I said, it's May of 2020. Who's doing anything, right? Like, we don't want to do anything. I, I, nobody knows the world's going to end day after tomorrow, what's going to happen, really, right? And so they said, like, oh, right, let's talk about it. And then um, I talked to them. The one th important thing the managing director of the PE firm said, like, Vivek, tell me what's it worth to you. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I can get behind that. I don't know how much you think it's worth, but I'll tell you what's worth to me, right? So it's it was making three and a half million bucks. I said, well, I'm not going to pay anything for this. So I typed in that email. I just put an offer letter on my, on my iPhone, and I offered them 800 grand. And they came back and said, would you do one million? I'm like, oh, shit, we have a deal now, right? I'm at 800, you're at a million. <laughs> Somebody's going to close at this point. And I'm getting three million bucks in revenue. I'm like, I'll take that deal any day of the week. The key part was just making the, making the call. Now, the backstory is really like they needed to sell, obviously, they needed to sell the company because they were shutting down the fund. So it didn't matter whether they got whatever they got. They just needed it. And most importantly, I offered them all cash, 30 days. That's it. Right? No dicking around, no screwing around with the, you know, you know, you know, earnouts and this and that and all that stuff. Like, dude, it's a foreclosure sale. You know, 30, 30 days, you know, you, you get your money, you can shut down your fund and you're happy. I'm definitely happy. <laughs> so, so let's do this. So this, that's the way we closed that deal. 
many of you guys listening have built incredible SaaS tools to help other founders, specific industries, really get value or make some system easier. The problem is you can't help your clients until they import some portion of their data. And you've considered on your Trello board and your Sprint timelines spending weeks building a CSV importer for certain data sets. You're smiling right now because you know I'm right. And either you do it and you waste engineering time or you don't do it and your customers have a horrible time getting onboarded. And listen, let's face the facts. Your ability to give value to your customers sometimes is very dependent on their ability to get you their data. Once you have the data, everything is really smooth. Well, this exact problem probably explains why FlatFile is growing so quick. They've raised over $44 million and they do exactly this, the data onboarding platform for your marketing teams, your engineering teams, they enable you to get usable data faster so you can focus on what matters most to your business. And the fastest growing companies like my friend ClickUp, Zeb, multi-billion dollar valuation, they all use FlatFile. Now, FlatFile reached out, they wanted to sponsor. I said, do you got a good deal for us? And they do. For anyone listening, any anyone that's part of the top entrepreneurs community or get latka you can get a deal now to get started today at nathanlatka.com forward slash flat file and they make it so easy by the way their onboarding is beautiful you don't have to commit to a bunch of stuff you can actually see a demo live instantly right now check it out nathanlatka.com forward slash flat file And that's kind of a quick example of, you know, a lot of people got to think through like, hey, how do I set up an LOI and this and that? And LOI and term sheets are nothing but just whatever you think, just write it down. It's not that complicated. Just write down like, okay, this is how much I'm going to pay right now. This is how much I pay in the future and so on and so forth. I just wrote that down in like 24 minutes, sent it over. And they said, well, okay, it seems like seems, seems it's going to work. Let's do this. And then we kind of like then went through 30s, 30. Eventually, it, it took more than 30 days. Um, to go through diligence, it took more than, but that doesn't, nobody cares. Once you're in LOI, like, yeah, if it takes 30 days, nah, 60 days, who cares, really? It just goes through. Um, like, this, I, was, this was Briegel, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. I'm so probably going to get sued for saying all this shit, but I, I, as you can see, I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so they're pretty uptight about it, but whatever. Right? We're, we're building the slides, and, and Vivek goes, I'm definitely getting sued for this. And I said, wonderful. <laughs> Great content. Yes. Um, the other thing that worked for us is global expansion. So, uh, so we we can obviously, as you know, we, we are competing against you know folks who have 24 times the money that I have in terms of marketing spend, execution, and everything else. Uh, and so one of the one of the one of the goals was like, let's just open up offices and sell in those markets, right? Um, and we have a pretty good playbook now. And and the whole story started off because. Um, we are at one point, this was like five years ago, we said like, you know what, we should sell in Spanish, right? I mean, like, you know, half the world speaks Spanish and we should start selling in Spanish. So we hired this sales guy who walks into the door in Seattle and he's a Mexican-American guy. I'm like, of course you speak Spanish. Dude, here's the phone from now on. You're going you're gonna to handle all the Spanish conversations, right? And so, so we do that. And then at some point he comes whacked after, after us. He's a regular AE, really, right? He walks into my room and says, hey, Vivek, I got a, I got a, I got a question for you. He's like, yeah. Hey, look, I'm in Seattle. Does it make sense to you that we are selling to a bunch of Mexicans from Seattle? I'm like, no, it makes no fucking sense, right? I'm going to go down to Mexico. I'm going to build a team there. I'm going to build a team there. I'm like, oh, here's the ticket. <laughs> I don't know. Just go do it. Uh, so we start off at 100 grand, and now it's four and a half million bucks just out of Latin America, not just Mexico, but all of Latin America. Mexico, that includes Brazil and everything else, really, right? And that thing is going to hit 10 million bucks. 
I'm guaranteeing you that. And, and, and that has been, and so we replicated that same model in other markets. So same thing, I had somebody in Dubai, and so I, you know, in Dubai we can beat out Qualtrics and Medallia very, very easily because we walk into the door and say, hey, look, we are right here. And our enterprise sales is largely about, hey, you work on Sundays, we work on Sundays. All right, do you, do you drive on that side of the road? I also drive on that side of the road, you know, whatever, right? So, so, so my sales team can walk in and say, hey, this is what, you know, I'm here. You know, and then they're like, yeah, screw Caltrex, screw Medallia. There's some, some Irish guy is going to show up from, you know, London at some point. We don't like that shit, right? So, um, so we can win that deal. So, I mean, we can't do that in the States, obviously, right? You know, so, so, but we win in those markets. So our global revenue is going up um, fairly well. And in conjunction with that, what we did that was interesting and I think was actually needed, we just built out other data centers, so our, our platform. So, so that was our kind of conversation. So, hey, look, we are here, and we have a data center here in, you know, in, in your region, and all the data issues are kind of like, you know, it's all bullshit, but you know, everybody wants to talk about it, and so GDPR and all that crap. So, so that, that, sol that solved that problem together, and that you know, obviously you know, accelerated revenue. Uh, what do we do to go from 20 plus? Actually, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm writing it as, <laughs> as we go along. Um, but you know, one thing that we've started doing is kind of you know, build out more products, more offerings, right? Round out the offering. Um, one of the ways that we do it now is like we look at a persona and then they say like, okay, all the products that a particular persona needs. So you know, typically we are selling, on the enterprise, we are selling to three different personas. One is the director of insights, market research and insights. So they need, they need audience services. They need you know, qualitative, quantitative research services. So we kind of provide tools for all of them. The other persona that we sell to is CX. You know, so they, you know, a whole bunch of kind of tools around CX we are building. And obviously the HR buyer for employee experience. So we are building a bunch of tools around that. So, so when you start getting to this kind of scale, we just have to have more product to sell to the same buyer and we round it out. And we, I call it the share of wallet model. So you know, that's how we do it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this is how most M&A conversations start. Like somebody sends me a text and I just make an offer on the spot. Uh, and- uh, Perfect, hold on. <laughs> You have to break this down. What do you mean someone just sends you a text? How did this thing start? So this, this is an interesting one. So this guy calls me up and says, like, uh, hey, he, was, he had a dev shop, um, and we needed more developers. Um, obviously, who doesn't need more developers? I mean, come on, right? So, and so we were, I mean, obviously, our go-to-market functions have scaled up, but we need to get, we were having a tough time just recruiting developers, and he had 10 of these guys, and he was selling me on the fact that, hey, you know, give me some work. Let me do, let me do work for you, right? Typical you know, dev shop hustle. And I said, like, no, I'm not going to do, like, individual DevSop stuff, but, you know, why are you kind of, like, you know, bugging around? He's like, yeah, I mean, I have some spare capacity. I'm having a tough time finding new buyers. I'm like, why don't I just buy your company and just all your developers can work on all the stuff that we need to do? That's it. So I turned that around immediately and said, like, look, I'll give you this much, and, you know. And in the anatomy, you know, you know on every deal is, you know, most people think that you cannot afford it. It's actually not true. Like, you know, if you think about it, like, whatever price tag you give, you can divide it between what you pay today and what you pay tomorrow and you, what you pay the day after. And whatever you pay tomorrow and the day after usually has some contingencies, right? If you think about it, like, yeah, I mean, you, you are in the shared board at that point. So your risk on that money is nearly zero. In fact, it is zero. Um, so the real risk you're taking is how much are you going to pay cash up front today? That's it. That's the only number that you really care about that's at risk to the conversation. So if you kind of keep that thing as low as possible that you can absorb, uh, and that's like, you know, in the Bragal deal, like, we all looked at each other and said, like, dude, we don't know anything about this company. Okay, great. It makes three and a half million bucks with, from seven clients. 
So high concentration. So two of those clients are paying a million bucks each, which means if those two clients canceled, we're done, right? I mean, the whole company is done. So it's not really a great kind of asset from a SaaS kind of valuation perspective. So then you have to make a decision. How much are you willing to throw money into it and not worry about it? That's it, right? I mean, if that goes away, that goes away. But you, know, you do that risk-reward analysis. And that's the upfront payment. So, so that's why we just offered. I was like, OK, how much can I throw at this problem with, without stressing myself out? It'll be 800 grand for 3 million. Oh, OK, that, that's a good kind of like ratio. If I had paid 3 million for 3 million, then everybody would be stressed. And then we have to do all this drama and all that stuff, really. So the smaller companies, what you can do is just you know, negotiate the price first. I've seen a lot of people, and even I've done the make the mistake of, oh, we want, to do, we want to talk about tech diligence. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to do kind of all this other conversation. All those conversations are irrelevant. The only, only thing that really matters is like, dude, how much are you going to pay? That's it, right? So get that conversation. At least that's what I do. Get that conversation out of the way first. And then start worrying about the diligence and everything else, because now, now, now the deal's on your side, right? So you've, you made, you've at least anchored the price. And once you've anchored the price, then you can figure out whether you want to do this, de this deal or not. Otherwise, you spend three months talking about all kinds of stuff. And then in the end, then you're like, oh, look, you know what? The founder wants two million. OK, you can't pay two million. That's it. Now, now you're back to, now, now that's, a, that's a problem. So, so you might as well, and it's a pretty easy way. From my perspective, at least, I know how much I can afford. That's it. It doesn't matter how much you're worth, really, right? Because we are not chasing after kind of competitive deals. If it's a chase of a competitive deal, we are not in it, really. We are trying to do, you know, we, we try to do M&A opportunistically, not structurally, if you will, right? And if you're opportunistic, just like sales, you will win a few. It's not that you're going to win all of them. You're going to win a few of them. And the last thing I'll say is like, and I'm done, uh, is ditch the formality, really. I mean, I think everybody thinks that, oh, we got to go through a process. The process is whatever you do. That's it, right? And you could send out a term sheet on an email, send out a term sheet on a text message. Who cares, really, right? They just need to know the numbers. And you don't have to even think about it too hard. Like, OK, you know, this is how much I can afford. This is what I want to do. And, uh, and, then, you, and then the negotiations begin. And then, then, then you definitely will close at something or the other. I think that's about it. Any Guys, questions? Vivek with Question Pro, give him a round of applause. Thank you, guys. <laughs>